Good morning, everyone. Last week on Sunday morning, my family was snuggled away in our beds, sleeping about four o'clock in the morning. We got a, a ring at the doorbell. In fact, it was two rings. I'm not normally a person who wakes up easily in the middle of the night, but something about those two doorbell rings at four in the morning, I was up. Who on earth could this be? <laughs> I wondered as I'm just groggy and wiping the sleep out of my eyes. I ran to the window to see who was outside. Of course, I'm not just going to open the door. I'm not silly. <laughs> Got to peek out the window first. There was a police officer standing there. What on earth could a police officer be doing at four in the morning? And so as I'm going to the door, in my mind, I'm running through all of the crazy scenarios that could have happened in the middle of the night that would require a police officer to ring my doorbell twice. Somebody get robbed in the neighborhood? Did my front garage get tagged by spray paint in the middle of the night? I don't know what, what could have happened. Opened the door and I said to the officer, look, I, I, I normally wouldn't have opened the door, but since it's you, <laughs> and he told me, he said, did you know that there is a huge deluge of water spraying from your backyard into the street next door to your house. Immediately, my heart sunk. My heart sunk because a week before that, I spent an entire Saturday working on my sprinkler system, and of course, all that work that I invested into it was for naught. A police officer was standing at my door telling me, you've failed. <laughs> All your hard work that you put in to shore up your sprinkler system failed. We found out a, a few weeks ago that, that Sean really does not like camping. Let me share with you something that I hate. 5 8 inch black polyvinyl tubing. Amen. It's Father's Day, so if you're a father, you probably know what I'm talking about. I hate that stuff so much. Sure, it's flexible. You can route it in between things. It's, it's easy to, to hook up, but it is temperamental. It is fragile, and it breaks at the drop of a hat. The week before, I had spent the entire Saturday putting in Schedule 40 hardened PVC glued together with the sweat of my hands, a little bit of blood in there too. I, I put that stuff in. But where I didn't put that in, that's where the problem happened. That's where the break happened. I say all that to say that I think sometimes in our lives, we want to be the Schedule 40 hardened PVC, just impervious to damage kinds of people, don't we? At least that's what we want people to see us as. We want people to view us as strong, as able to withstand whatever comes our way. But I would venture to guess that a lot of us have 5 8 inch black polyvinyl tubing going on in our life. I would venture to guess that a lot of us have weaknesses, shortcomings, shame, and embarrassment that we don't want other people to see. And I'm not going to make that assumption. I'm not going to paint a broad picture here that all of us are that way. But I think we all have something in our life that we can look back to with regret, 
and with shame and with disgrace. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is disgrace. Disgrace, in its definition, it's, it's really unnecessary for us to even define disgrace, I think, because we all know what it is. A loss of reputation or respect as the result of a dishonorable action, a person or thing regarded as shameful and unacceptable. I don't need to give you that definition. You know what it means to be disgraced. You know what it means to be ashamed and embarrassed. You know what it means to lose your reputation or have people view you as unacceptable or not included. You know what that feels like. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be weak and to feel like I'm not enough, like I'm a failure, like I haven't lived up to my potential. I know what that feels like. And what I want us to do this morning is I want us to see that from Jesus, we can learn to embrace our disgrace. We can learn not to run away from shame and weakness. We can embrace that as part of who we are. And we'll see why Jesus spent so much time with the broken. Why Jesus associated with people who were disgraced, who were ashamed in their life. If you've ever felt ashamed, you've ever felt disgraced, you're in good company. And we'll talk about that this morning. This is really not a lesson that's going to teach you a whole lot, but I hope it answers that one question for you. If you've ever felt like you were on the fringes, if you've ever felt like you were not accepted, if you've ever felt disgraced, this is a lesson for you. And so let's, let's get into this here. Have you ever felt disgraced? Again, I'm, I'm not going to paint a broad brush here. I, I'm giving you the opportunity to, to opt out of this question. If you've never felt disgraced, if you've never felt ashamed, okay. I'd love to talk to you about that, honestly. Maybe after the, the lesson, we could have a conversation about that. But if you've, if you've ever felt disgraced or ashamed, here's what I think you've probably wanted to do. I think you've probably wanted to go run and hide, haven't you? When you felt ashamed, and... and I could honestly tell you, a week ago last Sunday morning, I kind of wanted to go run and hide as a police officer stood in front of my door. I, that was a little bit embarrassing, but I think shame and disgrace causes us to want to run and hide and, in fact, put on the thing that today we have all taken off. We want to put on a mask. We want to we hide when we feel disgrace, when we're ashamed, and, in fact, that goes all the way back to the garden. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. What is the very thing that Adam and Eve did when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They wanted to hide. And in fact, they actually did hide from God. They hid from God. I don't know who else they were hiding from. But at the very least, they were hiding from God. And I think when we feel ashamed, when we feel disgraced, when we feel weak, when we feel broken, when we feel like we're not enough, what do we want to do? We want to hide. Who, who loves to stand up in front of people and tell everybody the disgraceful things that's going on in your life? When was the last time you looked on Facebook and found somebody posting the disgraceful thing that they felt or that they had done or that had happened to them. When, when is the last time you see people doing that? 
It doesn't happen often. It's not normal in our society to, to just air this kind of, of information about ourselves. We don't want to be vulnerable. We want to hide it. We want to look like we're strong. We want to look like we're, we've got it figured out, like we've got things correct and we're doing things right. But I think if you've ever felt disgraced, I think we've all felt it. And it may not be a result of your sin, although sin certainly does cause us to have shame. But I've just put a, a list of a few things here on the board about maybe, maybe areas in which you have felt disgraced or ashamed. An unfaithful spouse, infertility, a miscarriage, <laughs> hidden physical abuse, an abortion that maybe nobody ever knows about, being browbeaten by a boss, an incarcerated family member, sexual abuse, a hidden addiction that's lasted for years, unemployment and failure to find another job, adult children who've turned on you, maybe being told as a child that you're good for nothing and that you'll never amount to anything. Just a small smattering here of things that I think cause us to feel disgraced, cause us to feel like a failure. And you'll notice in this list, not all of these things are sinful at least things that we choose to do. These may be things that happen to us, situations that we find ourselves in in our lives, things that we may feel weak and broken by, things that we spend maybe years trying to overcome. I'll just open up a little bit for myself. Father's Day, which is today, by the way, Happy Father's Day. Father's Day, maybe about 13 to 14 years ago, was an incredibly painful day for me. I spent, well, we spent, a good part of our early married life with a lot of people asking, so when are you going to have a baby? <laughs> you know, that's the normal question that people ask to married people when they don't have children yet. When are you going to have a baby? And, you know, we tried for a long time to have a baby. And it never happened, and it never happened. And finally, it did happen. And we got pregnant. And we were so excited. And a few weeks into finding out that we were pregnant, we realized that we lost the baby. Not a, not a publicly known kind of piece of information that everybody had and knew about. But then came Mother's Day. And then came Father's Day. And that became an incredibly painful day for us. And I want you to know that if today is Father's Day and you're struggling in feeling yourself like you want to be a father, but you can't be, or you want to be a father, but it's, it's not yet time to be that for you. I want you to understand, I got you. I see you. I may not know that about you, but I want you to understand that if you want somebody to talk to you, I'm right here. There are all kinds of things in our lives that every one of us face that cause us disgrace, <coughs> cause us shame make things that should be happy and joyful events difficult for us. Things that we have to get over. And we all face this. There, I'm painting with a little broader brush right now, right? I think we all face this. I think you face this. And here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that Jesus was also disgraced. Jesus, the Son of God, was also disgraced. 
And not only was he just a little bit disgraced, of course, we're going to spend a good period of time this morning thinking about Jesus' disgrace at the cross. But I want to go back to the very beginning. I want to go back even before the beginning in Jesus' lineage and his birth story. I want you to think about the way Jesus was disgraced, even as a baby, even before he was born. Do you know who was in Jesus' lineage? A lot of people in Jesus' lineage, of course. A lot of good people, a lot of very important people. You know that Rahab and Ruth were in Jesus' lineage? I'm not giving Rahab and Ruth a hard time, because if you know anything about Rahab and Ruth, you'll know that these are two very important, faithful women to the Lord. But on the surface of it, what was Rahab's job? Rahab was a prostitute. There was a prostitute in Jesus' line. Somebody could have made fun of Jesus on the playground one day as children about his prostitute great-great-great-great-grandmother. They could have done that. Ruth, while certainly not a prostitute, she was a foreigner. She was a foreigner, and at a point in time in her life, she was a dirt-poor foreigner. So Jesus had some interesting people in his line, not to mention all the kings who were evil before the Lord, all the people in his lineage who, who were incredible sinners. These two women, just to name two, were very questionable people in Jesus' lineage. But then we get to the story of, of his birth. Mary, in her pregnancy, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 9, we see that this is not a normal situation, actually, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. This is not a normal situation. And you know the story about Mary and her pregnancy. She's engaged to Joseph. They're not married yet. And Joseph finds out that she's pregnant, and it's not by him. And so what does he want to do in verse 19 of Matthew 1? And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. This was a very shameful situation. If on the surface everything was as it seemed, and Joseph would soon find out that it was not as it seemed. But to see that Mary was pregnant before she got married, that's scandalous, especially in that society. And I wouldn't be dogmatic about it, but I think in John chapter 8, verse 41, when Jesus is talking to the Jews about their lineage, about their heritage, and they come to him and say, we were not born of sexual immorality, you know what I think they're doing? I think they're throwing it in his face. I think they're mocking Jesus there. Again, I wouldn't be dogmatic about that, but, but why would they bring that up to Jesus of, of all people? I think Jesus had this fact thrown in his face quite a lot. And unless you really understood what was happening, unless you really understood that Mary was not impregnated by some other man, but by the Holy Spirit himself, unless you really understood that fact, it looked pretty suspicious, didn't it? So Mary's pregnancy kind of put a little bit of shame on Jesus' early life, but then we also see that he was born in a barn. Jesus was not born under normal circumstances. He wasn't born in an inn. He wasn't born in a nice, comfortable environment. He was laid in a manger after he was born. And oh, by the way, who were the first people to come see him? They were shepherds. 
Shepherds were not the most highfalutin sort of dignified people on, in the Jewish society. They were sort of the, the country bumpkins out there. And they were the ones who got to see Jesus first. He was born in a barn, laid in a manger. These are, these are not extraordinary, amazing circumstances, especially for the Son of God. Pretty disgraceful if you think about it. Also think about his poor parents. When Mary and Joseph come to the temple in Luke chapter 2 to offer the ritual purification, in Luke chapter 2 we find out what do they bring to offer for purification. They bring two pigeons, two young turtle, dove, turtle doves. Now if you go back to uh, Leviticus chapter 12 verses 7 and 8, you will understand that that was not the sacrifice that they were supposed to bring. What sacrifice did the law of Moses tell them to bring? For, the, for that. It was a lamb. They were supposed to bring a lamb. And you know what happens if you couldn't afford a lamb? If you were too poor to bring a lamb, you were to bring two pigeons, two turtle doves. And that's what they brought because they couldn't afford it. Jesus was born into a poor family of questionable lineage, of questionable pregnancy and birth, of meager small, insignificant birth. Jesus started out his life with disgrace. And Jesus absolutely ended his life in disgrace. Jesus was rejected in his hometown in Nazareth. The people should, who should have known him the best, who should have received him openly and willingly, he was rejected by his own people. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, tells us the story about how they would not receive him, and they would not accept him, and they rejected him because, oh, isn't he the son of a carpenter? We know your father. We know who you are, and we don't have to listen to you. You're nobody special. He was rejected. He was plotted and schemed against. Oh, the Pharisees just looked for every opportunity to put him to death in John chapter 11. We see the, the great plot and the scheme to kill him. We see later on in the book of John how when Lazarus was raised from the dead. Not only did they want to kill Jesus, but then they wanted to kill Lazarus too. They wanted to put him to death for a very long time, and they schemed against him. The religious leaders did not accept Jesus. He was betrayed by his closest friends. John chapter 13, as he's sitting there at the supper, staring across from him at, at Judas, who was going to betray him. He said, what you're going to do, do quickly. Get this done quickly. His own friends, his closest disciples, betrayed him. Peter, who said he would never deny him, denied him three times, in fact. Jesus was disgraced. And then not to mention the insults, the beatings, and the fact that he was killed on the cross. And I mentioned it in a few lessons ago, but, but I'll just make a mention now. What could be more disgraceful than being stripped naked in front of people? And in all of the artistic renderings that anyone ever does about Jesus, they don't tell the whole story because there on the cross, Jesus is still wearing clothes. But from the text, we see that Jesus was stripped bare. He was disgraced. He was hung on the cross and killed. You think about Jesus' life, from his birth all the way through his 33 years on this earth to his death. 
It was a life of disgrace. It was a life of shame. It was not a life that anyone would look at and say, he is a successful, well-to-do individual. He was a dirt-poor nobody from Galilee. And he saved the entire world. It's amazing. So the question, why would Jesus spend so much time with the disgraced? Why did Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why did he spend so much time relating to people who were themselves disgraced? People like you and me. Why would he spend so much time doing that? Because he was one of them. Jesus was one of them. Jesus in his whole life was disgraced. So why do you think he found himself with tax collectors and sinners? Because he related to them. He connected to them. Not in the fact that he had sinned, of course not, but in the fact that nobody accepted him. That very few people understood who he was. And those few people who understood who he was, understood who he was because Jesus showed them love like they had never been shown before. And that's what I want us to see in this lesson. If you've ever felt disgraced, if you've ever felt ashamed, if you've ever felt broken, and just stop to realize that you are a sinner, that you have failed. If you've ever, like the, like the tax collector in Jesus' parable, who, who could not even lift up his eyes and shouted, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you have ever found yourself in that situation, understand that God loves you. Jesus, his son, loves you. Like no one else ever has. Jesus loves the broken. Who was it in Jesus' life who rushed to Jesus? Of course, it wasn't the religious elite. It wasn't the people who thought they had it all figured out. It wasn't the Pharisees who pridefully stood up in their arrogance saying, I've accomplished so much. I'm correct and I'm right. It wasn't those people. It was a bunch of sexually immoral women. You read through the Bible, you read through Jesus' story, and there are a surprising number of sexually immoral women who spent quite a bit of time finding Jesus and following him. John chapter 4, the great Samaritan woman at the well. We don't often think about her as the adulterous woman, but she absolutely was. How many, how many husbands had she had? Five. <laughs> it's amazing. But Jesus spent time with her. Jesus spent time in Luke chapter 7 with the sinful woman. Now, there's some debate whether or not that sinful woman in Luke 7 was actually a, a, a sexually immoral woman. It would seem that that would be the case. But Jesus spent time, and people came to him who were sexually immoral. The demon-possessed? The demon-possessed people were not publicly accepted. They were rejected like those sexually immoral women. If you had a demon, if you were possessed by a demon, you were not just part of the inner circle. You're not part of the club. Nobody wanted to be around you. You were an outcast. You were out there causing trouble. You were out there making mischief. And in all the cases where Jesus came to demon-possessed people, he did what almost no one else was willing to do. Be with them. Speak to them. Get to know them. Connect with them. And then heal them. Jesus spent time with demon-possessed people. He spent time with lepers. 
and people who were dying. If you were a leper, you were the kind of outcast from society. You were the disgraced, shameful person who mothers would hide their children's eyes from as you walked by. You were not allowed near other people. You were off at a distance. You were, you were living out in colonies with other people like yourself. You were segregated. You were discriminated against for good reason, because that disease was so infectious and contagious that nobody wanted to be around you. What did Jesus do? He did the shocking thing of touching them. Not just, not just like touching them, but touching them and healing them. And those who were dying, those who literally had to be carried and, and lowered down through a roof to get to Jesus. People who were, who were sick, who were paralyzed, who were dying. Who else came to Jesus? I think it's the people who knew they wanted to be blessed. Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus begins his great Sermon on the Mount. Of all the great words that Jesus shares in that sermon, the way he begins it really touches the heart of the disgraced. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil and against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Beatitudes are all about disgrace. And Jesus looks right at the people who are poor, who are hungry, who are thirsty. He looks right at them and says, I see you, and I have something amazing prepared for you. Jesus loves the broken. And if you have ever felt broken, Jesus loves you. We sing that song, especially as little kids. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And we just think about that in terms of Jesus loving us. But I want you to think about that in terms of Jesus loving you in your brokenness. He doesn't love you because you're all put together. He doesn't love you because you've got it all figured out. He doesn't love you because you're Schedule 40 PVC hardness. He loves you because you're broken. He loves you because you need to be fixed. He loves you because your sins have put a wedge between you and God, and he can fix it. He loves you, not because of your perfection, because of your brokenness. And he loves me because of that, too. We need to see how much Jesus loves us. And what we need to do is we need to understand that we are welcomed into a new family of diverse 
and also disgraced people. That is what the church is. If you look around and you've ever gotten the sense that we're Schedule 40 hardened PVC kinds of people, I need you to understand that you have come to the wrong conclusion. I need you to understand that. Now, we may not all be rolling down to the front all the time to talk about all of our vulnerabilities and all of the disgrace and all the shame and all the things that we, that we do to, to transgress the Lord's will. We may not all be as open and vulnerable to you as, as maybe others are, but I need you to know that we are all broken. There is not one of us here in this room, and I would ask for a show of hands, but I really don't want to see it. <laughs> There's not one of us in this room who is not broken in some way, who doesn't have something to get over, who doesn't have a weakness that we've had to overcome. Every single one of us has something in our life, a debt that we couldn't pay. And Jesus welcomes us into a new family. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 talks about a royal priesthood that we're now a part of. We were, we were once not a people. But now we are the people of God. We were once disgraced. We were once ashamed. We were once off broken. And now we are made whole again. And we're part of a family. Each of us doing our part. Each of us doing our share, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12. Each of us bringing our talents, bringing our gifts, bringing our backstory to bear. Here's what you do not need to do. You do not need to hide. You do not need to pretend. You do not need to put one of these on, at least metaphorically speaking. You don't need to do that with us. We're under no illusions that you're perfect. And please, if you ever think that I am, make a correction in your thinking. We're broken people. But the Lord has put us back together again and made us part of a family to gain strength from each other, to experience his love, and to just be honest and open about the fact that we needed Jesus more than we can ever describe. Do you agree with that? We all do. And I hope that if you've ever felt disgraced, if you've ever felt ashamed, know that you're in good company. Because Jesus felt that way. We all feel that way. And through his death, through his mercy... Through his grace, he heals us and brings us back to a relationship with the Father. If you have not given your life to the Lord, then you cannot embrace disgrace. The shame of your sin is not taken care of by Jesus. If you've not given your life to the Lord yet, you're not a part of his family. If you've not committed yourself to, to following him, to confessing his good name, to giving yourself to him in baptism, then you're not a part of the saved few, that narrow road that leads to life. That's not where you're walking. And I hope this morning that you will see that only in Jesus can that shame and that disgrace be taken away forever. I hope today is the day of your salvation. Please come forward as we stand and sing.